You're listening to the Prison Poetry Workshop Podcast. I'm Ren Smith. Here we present readings, commentary, recordings, and stories about the little-known and even less understood literary tradition of prison poetry. Today, New York City poet Angie Ortiz. Hers is a story of life and death, where death comes first. She says a few days before her 11th birthday, she lost her mother. Here's a poem she wrote about all the pain and agony she felt about the disease that took her. The title of this poem is AIDS. I hate you because of the way you carry yourself. I hate you because you're fatal. I hate you because you destroy families. I hate you because you're selfish. I hate it more that you travel in stealth mode. I hate the fact that you took what was mine and can't give it back. I hate what you did to my family. My brother has no memories. My kids of no one who meant so much to me. My brother was two and I was eight. She died two weeks before saying happy birthday to me. But Angie didn't learn to put these feelings into words for a very long time. As a kid, she acted out. I was angry. I was hurt. I didn't quite understand the disease itself. And back then there was no, there was no medicine. And so I kind of, I kind of, I felt neglected. I felt like someone took something away from me and, and that was it. I had nothing. Without her mom around, Angie found herself in the foster care system, bouncing from group home to group home. As a teenager, she ran off and learn to survive on her own. I taught myself, I raised myself in the streets, and all I knew was how to struggle and how to make ends meet the way I, I knew how. So if I had to sell something, I was selling it. If I had to steal something, I was stealing it. And, you know, obviously when you do harmful things to others, you know, it does tend to come back to you. You know, you do the crime, you pay the time. You know, clothing, money, how to eat. And so those things constantly kept me in jail. Angie was in and out of Rikers Island. It seemed like nothing would ever change. But then, something did. She got pregnant. Um, I had my first daughter um, when I was incarcerated. And so that was, a, that was a moment when I felt like I really needed to lean on writing. In 2000, at the age of 18, Angie had met Victoria Sammartino. Victoria that writing teacher who taught us about anaphora earlier in the show, founded the poetry workshops at Rikers. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be a part of the poetry class. Since Angie wouldn't come to the poetry workshop, Victoria brought the poetry workshop to her. It was almost like a correspondence. I would bring her the activity I had done in the work we had I had done with the participants in the workshop, and she would let me give it to her. She would come and she would take me like out of cosmetology and nail technician and try to trick me. Like if I wrote a poem, like she would choose it to put in a magazine and and things like that. And so that's how that's how we started. And this is not with a lot of like fanfare. I mean, until once we got to know each other, it was different. But like she would let me give it to her very nonchalantly. And then and then I would, um, the next time that I was there, she would have a poem written. And she would give it to me and I would give her another activity. And then I would bring, and then I would bring back the type. Angie became a serious writer and that would help her process a lot of what was about to happen. 
Angie tried to sign up for the nursery, but she was told she couldn't. According to prison rules, her criminal record was too serious, officials said. But both Angie and Victoria refused to accept that. Luckily, there was an appeal process. I had um, fought to get into the nursery on uh, Rikers Island because they denied me because my classification was too high. So um, with Victoria's help, uh, we appealed and I won. And I got to have my baby with me on Rikers until it was time for me to, until my time was up because the, the babies, they're only allowed to stay with you until um, till they're one. So on that note, I got to leave with my baby. And so everything turned out okay. But before Angie got to her happy ending, she had to give birth in a jail with a harsh reputation. According to Angie's account, giving birth at Rikers was a surreal and difficult experience, especially since she ended up going into labor at one of the worst times possible, one of the moments in the day guards aren't likely to tolerate unscheduled interruptions. It just so happened that it was count time, and so when there's count time going on, no one is allowed to move in the building because they have to count all the inmates that are in the whole entire facility. Angie also had another problem. The pain she was experiencing was so blinding, she could barely talk. And so while the count is going on, I'm like knocking on my cell door, and I could like barely scream because I was having so much pains. The guards didn't seem to be able to hear Angie's desperate knocking. Luckily, her fellow inmates knew just how to deal with the situation. They formed a kind of human telegraph. And so it took for me to like knock on a cell door on my cell door for the next inmate to knock on their cell door to finally make it down to the staff to let them know that I was going into labor. Angie says even after guards figured out she was having contractions, they didn't exactly swoop in to rescue her. She claims they refused to take her to the hospital until after count was done. I waited about a good 45 minutes. Angie says the guards weren't exactly nurturing. They were actually very mean. When I finally got over to, uh, to East Elmhurst Hospital, um, I actually had to give birth uh, handcuffed to the bed. And so understanding that, yes, I was an inmate, but I was giving birth. You know, I think any, any mother shouldn't have to give birth like that. While Angie knew at standard procedure to handcuff violent offenders at hospitals, it was still hard for her to take. Angie wrote several poems about her ordeal. I wrote about how much I hated it. I wrote about how much I wish my moms was there. You know, maybe I would have a different turnout in life. Um, I definitely, I definitely wrote about it. Being rushed in slow motion, handcuffed to the bed. Remember calling my mom with bloody tears as there were grasped breaths, but the chokes and the more and more I seemed to take each time. I'm running out of breath. I want to hold my mom's hand, but I can't. Instead, I'm holding bars. With cuffs making my hands swell and red. Finally, disaster's over, but my baby girl's here, Leah Destiny Ortiz. Excited I was, thrilled that she was here. Holding her now, walking shackled. 
look at my baby right in her eyes, not even knowing that if I looked that one time, it was my last. Raising a child in the Rikers nursery is as strange as you'd think. There are always social workers and healthcare professionals around watching, and you're sometimes denied access to your own offspring, Angie says. At times it was very hard, you know, people telling you what to do with your child, you know, um, not being able to lay down with your baby, even though you're supposed to lay down with the baby back in the crib. <laughs> but, uh, you know, just having those moments of waking up in the middle of the night and, you know, going to go check on your baby. So it was, it was, it's a pretty hurtful feeling. Still, she says, as a young mother, she was grateful for the support she got. They teach you how to hold your baby properly. They teach you how to lay the baby down properly. Um, they teach you how to have eye contact with your child, which um, sometimes, as a parent, you won't even realize it, but if you're feeding your baby, you tend to look elsewhere when your eyes should be constantly looking at your baby. 13 years later, Angie is transformed a proud mother of four living in the Bronx. She works with a new leadership program Victoria has developed at Voices Unbroken, sharing her story with other young women and helping them unpack their experiences through writing. For her, poetry is her legacy. It's something her children can read once she's gone, a way for them to understand the changes she's gone through. I always say if I, if I pass away tomorrow, I know for a fact that my voice will be heard, and it'll be heard through my poetry. I'm Ren Smith. We'll be back next week with more prison poetry. To find out how you can lend your voice to our poetry archive, go to prisonpoetryworkshop.org.